Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Hello, everyone. It's Takuya here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. One of the things I, I really love the most about being married to Kat is her level of gratitude that, and I'm being completely serious, she reminds me on a daily basis to be grateful for the little things. I get kind of, you know, spun up about stupid stuff, but she finds joy in the smallest things. And an example of that is she just came home from the drugstore and she was so excited because she bought new hair elastics. Yeah. Well, it was time. It was time. She brought them in. She took them out. She laid them out on the counter to show me and then insisted on a fashion show with the different colors. I got gray and black and then a gray-black mixture. I know you you uh, you struggled with, with this purchase for a while. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why is that? I don't know. You, I don't know. You deserve the best elastics. Well, I thank you. You're, you're very sweet. Uh, it's hard, though, because I... I'll buy elastics, you know, like once every six years. And then all of a sudden, uh, I have just the one. And I'll use that one for like 17 months. And I can't find any other elastics, but I'm able to hold on to that one like it's precious gold. And the uh, other night when we had a shower catastrophe, I found an elastic in and amongst the flood. And I was so <laughs> excited. And that was the moment that I went, oh, yeah, no, you shouldn't pick elastics up out of garbage yeah. and, uh, and put them in your hair. You're just looking in the wrong place. All of your hair elastics are in our vacuum cleaner. Mm. I know this for a fact because I do the bulk of the vacuuming. Well, maybe in the future, a vacuum around the hair elastic. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> They're everywhere. What?
you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? Okay. Last time we we played that, you said you were gonna make your own version for for my uh, story, and how's that coming along? No, I didn't say I was going to make one. I said someone should. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's a difference. I misunderstood. <laughs> okay. Um. So listen carefully. I'm turning off my lamp. I'm dimming the lights. Shall I turn off mine too? Yes. Prepare your pork taint. It is time for a topic that we've both danced around a bit. Oh. And I know that I haven't done it because I am lazy and it took me some time to do all the research I wanted to do. Right. But I know that you haven't done it because you're too afraid. Oh, my God, you're not doing Robert the Doll. I'm doing Robert the Doll. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. There's a reason why I have uh, avoided doing Robert the Doll, and I'm sure you'll get into that. Robert Eugene Otto was born into a prominent family in Key West. Everyone called him Gene. He's a tiny baby person living in this elegant mansion on the corner of Eaton and Simonton Street. At some point... Around 1904, Jean was given a doll. The doll's name was Robert. This doll stood about 40 inches tall, stuffed with wood wool. And Robert was given to Jean as a gift from his grandfather. Robert's one-of-a-kind, handmade by the Steiff Company of Germany around the turn of the century. His unusual size indicates that he may have been fashioned in the image of Eugene. Oh, okay. His grandfather may have commissioned it. Though some locals claim that Robert was actually made by one of the family's servants. There were rumors about the town that the family wasn't very kind to their servants. And there was a particular maid who was employed to look after Jean. The maid was dismissed in 1906, some say for practicing voodoo. Others say that Mrs. Otto was jealous of Jean's fondness for the servant. But before she left, the uh, the word is that she made the doll for Robert. Hmm. The, um... The history of the doll leans toward the fact that he was purchased in Germany by Jean's grandfather. But this is fun anyway. Either way, Jean loved this doll. According to allthatsinteresting.com, what people really remember is what they would probably term as an unhealthy relationship with the doll. This is according to Corey Convertito, curator of the Key West Art and Historical Society. Was this doll anatomically correct? You want to know about his wiener? Well, you said it was an unusual relationship with the doll. I was it wasn't wondering. sexual. Okay. Okay, just unusual doesn't always mean pervy. Don't be gross. That's just where my head goes. Okay, well, I mean, stop it. Anyway, he brought the doll everywhere. He talked to it and about it in first person as if he were not a doll. He referred to him as Robert. He was part of the family. Carried on conversations with him. Carried on conversations with him. Otto was so close to his new friend that his parents would often hear him whispering to Robert, which, you know, seems totally normal. Kids have conversations with their dolls. They have great imaginations. That's right. Though his parents started to think that they heard an unusually deep voice responding back. Uh, 
This is the part where I gave up on doing the story. Well, not well. it's one of the parts that I gave up on doing the story. According to legend, young Otto began to blame mishaps on the doll. While this could have been laughed off as childish storytelling, adults started noticing odd occurrences as well. One night when Jean, who was only 10 years old, awoke to find Robert, the doll, sitting at the end of his bed, staring at him. <laughs> Moments later, his mother was awakened by screams for help and an incredible din from the bedroom. Jean was crying, begging for his mother to rescue him. And when she was finally able to wrench the locked door open, she saw poor Jean curled up in fear on his bed, his room in shambles. Robert the doll just sitting at the foot of the bed. Twiddle in his wool-stuffed thumbs. Robert did it, Jean said. Yeah. Of course, Jean's parents thought it was just the child's imagination, but they were concerned. Soon it said that they reported hearing the doll speak and witnessing the doll's expression changing. Oh, that just gives me the full body shivs. I, creepy dolls, they disturb me anyway, but yeah, I've seen pictures of this doll. What the fuck? Once a plumber who had been hired to make repairs around the auto's home claimed to hear children's laughter, though Jean was not at the home at the time. When he looked around the room he thought he heard the laughter coming from, he noticed Robert the doll. Later, he heard laughter again. He came back to the room. And Robert had moved from one side of the window to the other. And there were no other kids there. There were no kids there. I knew it. What's more, the plumber swore that objects that had been in Robert's lap were then on the other side of the room, as if he'd thrown them. Gene grew up. He went on to study at the Academy of Fine Arts in Chicago and the Art Students League in New York. Gene then went to Paris, where he met Anne. He and Anne married on May 3rd, 1930. So as... Did, before they got married, did he did he have her sign some sort of a uh, haunted doll disclosure? Like some sort of prenup right, that, that she was knows, specifically built around... She understands that, you know, he has a haunted doll in his house <laughs> named Robert. No. Mm. But as Robert was no longer being carried around by Jean... He took up a permanent position in a chair facing out an upstairs window where he could be seen by passerbys below. I'm sure it delighted all the neighborhood children. People who passed soon avoided walking near the house altogether. Locals swore the doll would disappear and then reappear facing in a different direction or his gaze would follow them as they passed. Nope. Visitors to the home claimed they heard footsteps from upstairs. Eventually, Jean and Anna returned to the Otto family home in Key West, reuniting with Robert. Wait a minute. What kind of footsteps can you hear from a from a doll stuffed with wool? Well, he's, Do you have little shoes? He's like a 40-inch doll. He's a sure. large doll. Okay. But wouldn't he have to stomp around a lot? Because he's stuffed with wool. I mean, he's throwing wool. things. He might as well stomp, I guess. Okay. All right. I'm just thinking that there's not a lot of weight there. Maybe he's just got big clunky shoes on sticks, and he's walking them with his hands. He's resourceful. <laughs> this is according to ghostsandgravestones.com. Anne felt uneasy with Robert in the house, and although she couldn't put her finger on it, she didn't want Robert, let's say, out and about. So she asked Jean to lock the doll up in the attic. 
Jean conceded, and as one would imagine, Robert the doll was not so happy. <laughs> he was pissed. Soon, visitors again heard footsteps from the attic, the sound of someone pacing back and forth, and devilish giggling. Neighborhood children reporting seeing Robert watching them from the window, mocking them as they went to school. Jean would hear about this. He would go to investigate, knowing that he had locked Robert in the attic. And there's no way that he could be sitting in the window of the upstairs bedroom. What kind of mocking would he do? Was it was it verbal? I I can't I can't be sure exactly what the mocking was. Maybe like, hey, nice Reebok pumps. Hey, your kicks suck. For some reason, your Robert voice sounds like Corky from Guffman. (laughs) (laughs) Corky and the sperm whale. (laughs) I hate you and your ass faces. So anyway, yeah, no. uh, When Gene went upstairs to his complete shock, opens the door to the bedroom. There sits Robert in his rocking chair by the window. Smoking a camel. Gene once again locked Robert back up in the attic several times, each time discovering him again sitting by the window in that same upstairs bedroom. Nope. I would burn the house down and move. (laughs) Well, Gene and his wife died in the 1970s. There were rumors that Anne had a period of intense mental distress before her death because of this doll. No kidding. A woman named Myrtle Reuter purchased their home and with it, Robert the doll. Again, was there a disclosure? Well, what do you write? Uh, the house is purchased as is after formal in. There is an old inspection. septic tank in the back. And then there's a haunted doll in your attic. Other than that, it's got good bones. Again, sourceless footsteps and giggling coming from the upstairs bedroom. Reuter and her visitors reported seeing Robert's facial expression change whenever his owner, Gene, was mentioned. Whenever the former owners of the home were mentioned, uh, Robert would get this look on his face that they described as being otherworldly. Well, was he pissed or was he, he happy to He hear? did not like them talking about Gene. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So he was, the, uh, the theory is he was defending Gene's family. That's right. All right. They also swore he had the ability to move between different rooms of the home without help. After 20 years of chaos and creepiness, Reuter donated Robert to Key West's Fort East Martello Museum, where he sits today in a glass box. Now, he wears a sailor's outfit, which is assumed was once Jean's outfit, because it certainly wasn't what he was sold in. So they think that it was Jean's when he was a little boy, and they dressed Robert I in see. it. I see. Okay. After some digging, officials where Robert resides today deduced that he was actually never intended to be a doll in the first place. Although they did trace his origins to the Stife Company, the same toy company that designed the very first teddy bear, a historian told the museum that he was most likely part of a window display and not supposed to go to a home ever. I I see. All right. Almost immediately after moving into the museum, numerous visitors were lining up to see Robert the doll. Even stranger, letters addressed to Robert began arriving at the museum's mailbox. Yeah, this is the part where I bailed on this story. According to the museum's curator, he probably gets one to three letters every day. These letters, though, aren't typical fan letters. Oftentimes, they're littered with apologies for failing to respect Robert during the visit, begging for him to forgive them. 
Yeah. What I remember was if they if they took his picture without asking permission, mm. that horrible things happened. That's right. To them, and in this article that I was reading, this I, I rejected this story a year and a half ago <laughs> because I'm reading through the comment section and people are apologizing for reading the article. I'm sorry, Robert. I read this article. I, I wish you the best. You know, I'm like, mm, I'm just going to do something on some civil war story. <laughs> Many have reported their cameras becoming inoperable when they tried to take a picture of Robert only to begin working again. Once they leave the museum, according to local folklore, the doll has caused car accidents, broken bones, job loss, divorce, and a cornucopia of other misfortunes. So we'll let you know what happens, Cat. <laughs> Robert the doll continues to taunt and scare those who come to view him. 534 Eaton Street in Key West, Florida is now called the Artist House, and today the Victorian home is a haunted B&B. Hmm where you can stay, sans doll, of course, mm, but yeah. the museum's not far away, so you can always choose to tootle on over, visit Robert, and then sleep in his room. Yeah, I'll just stay at the Comfort Inn. But I do want to go to Key West. Absolutely. I want to see Hemingway's place. <laughs> now, I understand that you had a little bit of a moment with Robert the doll, and you opted not to do this story. And so, out of respect for you and Robert... Did you write him a letter? I, I didn't, but I sent him some mental vibes. Oh, I was okay. like, Robert, I'm going to do this story. Uh, I, I want to assure you that it's with the best intentions and that we have nothing but respect for you. Thumbs up all the way. <clears throat> and I made fun of it all the way through. Great. <laughs> Great. And now, that thing in the middle. For today's thing in the middle, once again, culled from the Freaks group on Facebook, Moxie Labouche posts. What's... By the way, Moxie Labouche, that is the best name yes, ever. Absolutely. It's a wonderful name. We love it. Uh, word on the street, she is also a podcaster. Really? Yeah. Um, Moxie posted, what's a misconception that you held for a long time as a child? Growing up in the 80s, I thought all music from the 60s was the Beatles because I couldn't fathom more than one band being remembered for that long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How could you possibly forget about 13th floor elevators? Another reason I love you. <laughs> um, okay, number five, Josh says... Quicksand was everywhere in the world, and it was a real danger. Mm, it's true. It 80s movies led us to believe that was the case. All the movies, yes. For sure. Number four, Aaron writes that I would eat way more cake for breakfast as an adult. <laughs> Number three, Kelly writes, I always thought there was a finite amount of songs in the world. So when they were all made, we would just have to keep listening to the same songs over and over until the end of time, which was the genesis of Top 40 Radio. I mean, that's a fair yes. assumption. Uh -huh. Number two, Laura, I grew up in Hawaii. We had two seasons, sunny and rainy. Anything I knew about winter and snow came from movies. I thought it snowed everywhere except Hawaii and California <laughs> during the Christmas holiday. So in my head, the snow started a week or so before Christmas and stopped about a week or so after. Spring would be once January hit. Here in Maine, snow starts right about Labor Day. <laughs> and somewhere mid-April, we start to... If we're lucky. We start to see the gravel. We the saw snow in May this year. And number one, Olivia writes that if my friend and I watched Rugrats at the same time, we would be able to talk to each other through the TV speakers. Oh, that's precious. That is. I love that. I miss Rugrats. 
I never got to watch Rugrats. Um, I did, however, watch Bill Nye the Science Guy, and I remember that he had a portion of the show where you could write in and ask him science questions, and I knew the question that I would write in if I ever had the chance to write. Was it, where are my hair elastics? No. No. The thing is, okay, so I wanted to know if you were in an average room in an average state in on an average day, how long would it take for a vacuum to fill with dust and dirt if you just held it up in the air? That's a great question. Thank you. Problem is it would get all clogged up with hair elastics. Shush! The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy theories like those surrounding notorious assassinations and secret societies. Discover the weak and deceptive underpinnings of modern political ideologies and religious beliefs. Join me as I attempt to shed some light on our historical blind spots. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. There are really many reasons to listen to our podcast, Big Picture Science. It's kind of a challenge to summarize them all, Molly. Okay, here's a reason to listen to our show, Big Picture Science, because you love to be surprised by science news. We love to be surprised by science news. So, for instance, I learned on our own show that I had been driving around with precious metals in my truck before it was stolen. That was brought up in our show about precious metals and also rare metals, like most of the things in your catalytic converter. I was surprised to learn that we may begin naming heat waves like we do hurricanes. You know, prepare yourself for heat wave Lucifer. I don't think I can prepare myself for that. Look, we like surprising our listeners. We like surprising ourselves by reporting new developments in science and while asking the big picture questions about why they matter and how they will affect our lives today and in the future. Well, we can't affect lives in the past, right? No, I I guess that's a point. (laughs) So the podcast is called Big Picture Science, and you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. We are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us. We hope you'll take a listen. 
you're ever pulled over for speeding while listening to this podcast, just tell the officer about the Box of Oddities. He won't throw out the ticket, but we would love another subscriber. This is the Box of Oddities. Donna sent us this email. Donna sent us this email. And Don't you mean email? Donna sent us this email. Okay. And it literally came in 20 minutes ago, right before we started recording. Uh, she was listening to episode 255, and we're talking about that circus tent fire yes. and how they waterproofed the tent back then with gasoline and paraffin wax. It doesn't make any sense at all. Ooh. She said that reminded her of a childhood story from her wife. Her life had been plagued with fire. Number one, grandfather lost both arms working for the electric company after grabbing what was supposed to be a dead wire. He continued working for the same company after for 30 plus years. Wow. He also learned how to wipe his ass after receiving prosthetic hooks from a guy he met in a bar who also had prosthetic hooks. Wow. That would be quite a challenge, I would think. I just think it's really interesting that two men with hook arms met each other in a bar. Sounds like the so beginning, serendipitous. beginning of a joke. Oh, I was going to say like some sort of love story. Yeah, either way. It's a, it's a meat cute if I've ever heard one. Number two. <laughs> Father was severely burned in an accident while working on his oil wells. He spent months in the hospital bed and his legs were mostly grafts. Oh, my goodness. Number three. That is terrible. Our elderly neighbor, JB, lived on an adjoining property and her whole family took care of this man who was in his 80s at least. He did not have running water. He paid everything in change, and he loved dogs. One winter evening, he lit a fire in his wood stove, and the entire place went up. Apparently, for years, he had been using kerosene to treat for bugs and fleas. No. Uh... My wife's stepmom found him wandering the backcountry, burned beyond recognition. He lived for a few more years, and my father-in-law bought all the property when he passed. My in-laws have found tens of thousands of dollars hidden all over the property and in uh, remaining buildings. Come to find out, he owned several grocery stores and was filthy rich. I've always thought it was so odd how her life was entangled with fire, and she's overly cautious as a result. She aimed the fire extinguisher at me as I was changing the dryer plug. Throughout all of this, she has a wicked sense of humor, and we love this podcast. Thanks for giving us something else to discuss rather than the wretched news. And I'm told all the time that Cat is my soul sister. We, we get that a lot. <laughs> Spirit animal it. is another way people describe you. Thank you, friend. Uh, also, I don't think that a healthy fear of fire is anything to be ashamed of. Uh, it is terrifying. As our dryers. <laughs> I know we had to replace ours last week, and the whole time I was like, are you sure that should go there? What is that thing for? Yeah. What's a grounding wire? Yeah. <laughs> are you... <laughs> also, there's a different kind of lint trap in it, so I had to come out and do a display for you. I was like, this yes, trap yeah. is different. Look at it and how it works. Like I'd ever change the lint yeah, filter. that's true. So, um... What you got for me? Did you just make that on your phone? I did, yes. Okay. Well, I've uh, interrupted your sleep a number of times because I'm reading this book that's fascinating. It's called uh, Who We Are and How We Got Here. Mm. It's by David Reich. It's uh, Ancient DNA in the New Science of the Human Past. And it's a dense book. 
it's sturdy. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's written so that the layperson can understand it, but it gets into you know a lot of technical stuff. So I'm not going to base my topic specifically on information in his book, except for a couple of small pieces. But it made me start to think about DNA in general. Mitochondrial DNA? Among other types, yes. <laughs> Is it about people with blue eyes? Not specifically. No, although because that's what you woke me up to talk about last night. Yes. Was the blue-eyed ancestors and how there was like one... And we all come from the same chick. <laughs> I didn't include that in here, but here are some really interesting facts about DNA. DNA was first discovered by biochemist Friedrich Meissner. Oh my gosh, that's very interesting and something I'm very glad to hear about when I'm not sleeping. In 1869. <laughs> Whoa, really? Yeah, but it wasn't until the 1940s that Oswald Avery realized that DNA contains humans' genetic blueprint. DNA's double helix structure was discovered in 1953 by James Watson and Francis Crick, who are now dead. <laughs> I was going to say more famous than their other predecessors who worked on DNA, but sure, maybe. It wasn't until 2000 that scientists completed the first draft map of the human genome. And it wasn't until 2003 that it was complete. Uh, two rival groups of scientists united to do the work, which was expected to revolutionize medicine by enabling doctors to give diagnosis and prescribe treatments tailored to each patient. The genome research also did, of course, spur some fears that DNA knowledge would be used to create designer babies. Sure. Uh, not only editing out genetic imperfections, but enabling parents to choose everything from eye color to hair color to their intelligence level. And who would, if you had the choice, what parent would choose to have a stupid kid? I don't uh, know. I mean, I wonder if you, maybe that... a dumb kid's easier to wrangle. <laughs> like, here's a... Billy, here's a banana. <laughs> well, sir, probably was cheaper. I wonder if it was a sliding scale. You know, like, oh, you want a kid to be really intelligent? That's the options the package, package. <laughs> yes, that requires a down payment. Um, so here's some of the cool things that I, I have learned about DNA. And, and maybe some of this you know, but I'm hoping some of it you don't. Okay. A lot of DNA crams into a tiny area. If you uncoiled the DNA, all the DNA from a single human cell would be about two to three meters long. Wow. Together, all the cells in your body contain 10 billion miles of tightly coiled DNA. So that would be if, if you flew from Earth to Pluto and then back to Earth and then back to Pluto again. Wow. That's almost a quarter of how many dollars Jeff Bezos has. There you go again with your Bezos envy. <laughs> so, okay, let's say you have the human genome and you have to type it out. Okay. All right, you better get going. Typing at 60 words a minute, how fast can you type? Because you're a pretty good typer. I don't know. Well, if you typed 60 words per minute for eight hours a day, it would take you 50 years. Whoa! Which is why it took a while to map the human genome. Did you know that you have more in common with uh, your workplace? Okay, let's put it this way. Think of the person you hate the most in the world. Yeah. Maybe it's an ex. Nope, nope. 
Maybe it's a boss. Uh, Maybe certainly not an ex. Okay, maybe a boss. I chose to live my life with them for a certain period of time, so they're <laughs> well, not the person well, I hate the most. You're a unique person. <laughs> there are many people out there who hate their ex worse than anybody. <laughs> anyway, um, you are all but zero point one percent identical genetically to everybody in the world. Cheetahs, on the other hand, are so genetically similar to each other that there's really zero difference between the DNA in most of the cats. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? How is that a thing? During the last ice age, 10,000 years ago, it wiped out almost the entire cheetah population, leaving today's animals highly inbred. Oh, there was okay. just a handful, like dozens left, they speculate. As a result, very few produce healthy offspring and their DNA is almost identical. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like um, overbred dogs. So when you get to like certain purebreds, it's because they've all like each other right. and they end up less healthy. Sure. It's exactly it. This I found fascinating. I, I am amazed I did not hear about this because this is right in my wheelhouse. As is the band Parliament. In 2008, DNA from several notable humans was sent into space on a memory device known as the Immortality Drive. It's stored on the International Space Station and includes DNA from people like physicist Stephen Hawking, comedian Stephen Colbert, Lance Armstrong. Just only people named Stephen? That seemed to be the pattern, but then they broke that with Lance Armstrong. It also includes a strange mix of musicians, novelists, screenwriters, also a pro wrestler, and a venture capitalist, and a former Playboy model. But which pro wrestler? They didn't say. It matters. I hope it was Big Show. I hope it was Big Show, or Kane, or X-Pac, because of that butthole thing. He needs a win. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea behind this is that if we wipe ourselves out on Earth, then maybe the survivors will advance to the point where they can get back into space and find that. And if they do, they'll have the technology to maybe clone some of those people and bring them back. Oh, okay. Some of the best it, of the best. It would kind of be, oh, all right, but a, but a good variation of them. Yes. So, a, oh, okay, this makes yeah. sense. It's like the seed bank. It's very similar to that. Okay. And it's interesting that they were able to store the DNA coding on a hard drive DNA itself is a much better storage hard drive than anything that you'll find at, like, say, Best Buy. Although, you know, I love Best Buy. I know you do. Whenever you're out of town and I follow <laughs> you on your your little Where's My Husband tracker, yeah. uh, it's usually a bookstore or Best Buy. Yeah, I'm an exciting guy. I love it. Though, I won't love it so much once Best Buy starts having whores. When are they introducing that product line? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I it, would never use the word whore like that. It, it was just for effect. God! In 2012, Harvard researchers managed to store 700 terabytes of data on a single gram of DNA. Stop it. 700 terabytes on a gram of DNA. So by comparison, you could hold 7 million copies of the Bible. Which version? Probably the King James, maybe the new international version. I'm not okay, sure. Not the illustrated for kids. No, you could store a lot more copies of that. Here's something I'll bet you're glad that changed. They found this out through DNA research. Uh, male humans used to have spikes on their penises. What? 
What? Yeah. Why like, don't I know about this? Kind of like Just, uh, like our humans. Our or like hum- yeah, male humans. Our ancestors used to have spikes on their penises. Was it like like, like hyenas do? <gasps> okay, so it was so that we would tie. Yeah, and when you breeding. couldn't you couldn't get away from me and my spiky penis. Oh, that's disgusting. I well, hate that you know, thought. it was way back when. I know, but it, know. it's just a terrible thought. It's called the penile spine enhancer code. Mm, no, I can tell you for sure that does not enhance my spine. <laughs> it disappeared from humans' DNA about 700,000 years ago. That's incredible. I can't believe I didn't know about that. And the reason it disappeared is because humans became more or less monogamous at that point. And less shitty. And less shitty. To a certain extent. Sure. To a certain extent. But also, I mean, this was a time, 700,000 years ago, there was a time when different types of homos were roaming about mm-hmm. and interbreeding. Sure. So if you found someone from another tribe, well, let's it, say, modern, I mean... Modern humans and Neanderthals coexisted. And as we've mentioned before, there are traces of Neanderthal DNA, right? But but is that because of spiny, spiny dicks? No, that was this was way spiny dicks was way before that. Spiny dicks would be a great name for a band. Anyway, the penile DNA deletion is one of the is one of more than five hundred which have occurred throughout human evolution, alongside uh, increasing the size of our brains and removing sensory whiskers from our faces. So. At the point 700,000 years ago that we had spiky penises, we also had whiskers. I love that. Little sensory, like cats or yeah, dogs. Yeah, like or, little face antenna. Yeah. I love it. That's incredible. Oh, you love the face whiskers, but you poo-poo the spiky penises. Shocking, I know. Can't have one without the other. That's the rule. I'll have you know, I will take neither. A scientist organization inscribed all of the lyrics of... <clears throat> the entire lyrical content of the song, It's a Small World After All, into a bacterial genome. The objective was to develop a method to transmit messages to future forms of intelligence. I'm confused. Can you, can you state that again? They inscribed the lyrics mm-hmm. using DNA coding of a, It's a Small World into a bacterial genome that would be inherited down through the line... With the objective being that maybe in the future some form of intelligent life will find it and decode it, it would be a It'd be like for some reason I have to go to Disney. Two thousand years from now, mm-hmm. some contemporary geneticist is going through this and he's like, Holy fuck. Now I'm never gonna get that out of my head. I demand a dull whip. But I think that's really cool. That really is. The idea that we can send messages to the future through our DNA. That's incredible. Is that Has that already happened? Ooh. You know? Aliens? Huh? Am I right? What? No. Apparently, DNA has a half-life of 521 years. So in simple terms, this means that the oldest organism that could be cloned could not be more than 2 million years old. So that means it's, it would be impossible to clone a dinosaur. Good. I know. That didn't work out too well. I mean, Jeff Goldblum made it, but, you know, yeah, it was overall, a, it was a terrible I, disaster. I wouldn't want to have to have cleaned up that lab. Ancient viruses that infected our distant ancestors and made them very ill mm-hmm. now inhabit our DNA. Many humans carry the entire DNA profile of ancient viruses within our genes. Oh, wow. Well. So there may be 
parts of us that have become immune. I'm wondering if it has something to do, yeah, with uh, an immunity defense yeah. against ancient viruses. I, I don't know. I, I'm it, not a geneticist. Uh, I just play one on this podcast. It's probably not too surprising to learn that humans share 98% of our DNA with chimpanzees. Mm -hmm. But incredibly, we share 70% with slugs and 50% with bananas. Yeah, I've heard that about bananas before. Trees are a very close relative. I, I buy that entirely. I feel a kinship with trees that I cannot express to uh, humans. Like there are people that I have met that I think are very fine people, I'm sure, but I like trees better than I like <laughs> them. Or I feel a kinship with them more, you know? There's... Yeah. Well, you can't build a fort in your uncle, for example. <laughs> now y'all remember Dolly the sheep? Yes. Uh, she was the best known cloned animal. But she was not the first. And she was cloned in 1996. Was she named after Dolly Parton? I'm not sure. The first cloned animal was a tadpole that was cloned in the early 50s. Wow. I had no idea. Could it be? Ancient bacteria says yes. While there have been numerous attempts to clone other living animals like monkeys and cats, of course, we've heard a lot about the endangered white rhino, mm. scientists have yet to find a way to uh, de-extinct long-gone animals. But that's not stopping them from trying. Scientists currently in Japan, Russia, and South Korea are all working on projects to bring back the woolly mammoth. I don't know how I feel about that. I, it's, it's really bullshit. cool. It's a really cool idea, and I would go see it. It's bullshit. But uh, I don't know. It it's just bullshit. seems like something. It's bullshit. Yeah, they're working on it. Hold on. Uh, this just in. Dolly the Sheep was named after Dolly Pardon. Did somebody just email that to us? No. I looked it up. Oh, that's this, not quite as impressive. How could someone have emailed that to us? Box of oddities effect. That's true. That's a valid point. Uh, research <laughs> researchers said the sheep was created from a mammary gland cell. <laughs> okay. Well, that's so, interesting. <laughs> the voluptuous parton offered an excellent example. All righty then. Wow. I had no idea. Fascinating. And now we're getting to some of the things that I learned in the book, who we are and how we got here. Oh, here are some of the things that you would have woken me up yes. and told me about in the middle of yes, the night. Yes, you probably don't remember because you were sound asleep. Sure. Uh, recent discoveries while doing studies on each ancient DNA have determined that every living person today is descended from one female that lived in Central Africa 160,000 years years ago. That's fucking nuts. She's known as mitochondrial Eve. And according to Wikipedia, mitochondrial Eve in human genetics is the maternal, most recent common ancestor of all living humans. In other words, she's defined as the most recent woman from whom all living humans descend in an unbroken fucking line purely through their mothers and through the mothers of those mothers back all the way in time, 160,000 years, till it converges on one woman. Unreal. Unreal. So that means that that woman, uh, her stock had to have been pretty hardy. Yeah. Because hers made it. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, her counterparts 
didn't or her <laughs> counterpart's children didn't or their children's children didn't, but hers did. And that's not to say that that was the very beginning of no, humankind. of course not. That's just as far back as we can go with mitochondrial DNA testing. They've also isolated what they believe is the speech gene, FOXP2, the foxhead box P2 protein, appears to be essential for the normal development of speech and language. They have been able to trace the mutations back to one common ancestor. One person had this mutation that allows us to talk, and that ancestor of ours lived 1.6 million years ago. I would imagine that was about the time that we started cooking meat. And it's my understanding that the, those things fed on each other. So um, the need to be able to communicate to hunt and then the ability to cook meat fed a part of the brain that allowed right. us to create speech. And uh, and meat really changed the way that we were yep. able to. I don't want to get into it because I want to talk about it at some point. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think those two things happening at the same time really kind of fed on each other. And we became a different creature than yeah, we, we would have been yep. otherwise. It's a written record in our genes. Mm. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. Again, we appreciate those who have uh, support, who are supporting us. A good way to do that is by uh, joining the Order of Freaks, and that supports the Box of Oddities. Yep. When you become a member, not only are you part of the Order of Freaks, which is kind of a cool secret club, but you get our episodes ad-free. You Don't get them. Try to make it like it's a cool secret club. I mean. It's cool and it's secret. It's not secret at all. You just invited everyone to it. Yeah, that's true. But you have to have the Himalaya app. You can't just get it anywhere. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But it doesn't make a secret. Where was I? Ad-free episodes. You get them a day early. You get a bonus episode once a month. And you get access to the back channel, which is direct uh, contact to us. All the information is available on our website, theboxofoddities.com. Banjo scratching at the door. <laughs> We'll see you next time. Until he just threw himself against the door. <laughs> Hold on. His foot sticking out from under the bottom of the door. This episode really didn't need pug snortles, but there's a bonus for you. We'll see you next time, you freaks. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2020 All Rights Reserved You done? Yep, that's okay. Robert the Dome. That's a good one. Fucking hate it. <laughs>